Welcome to the Shift Podcast. Transitions are all around us, and they can either make or break you. Hello, my name is Jonathan Van Horn, along with former pro soccer player Wells Thompson, when we are focusing on assisting athletes through successful transitions in life as well as in sport. Hope you enjoy the show. We are thrilled to have Michael LaHood on this episode of the Shift Podcast. Michael moved from his home country of Sierra Leone at the age of six due to civil war breaking out over blood diamonds. After arriving in the U.S., soccer became the bridge that connected him to his home country of Sierra Leone, as well as his new surroundings here in the U.S. Michael attended Wake Forest University, where he was actually a teammate with our co-host, Wells Thompson, for one season. After a successful career at Wake Forest, which included a national championship in 2007, Michael was selected in the 2009 Major League Soccer Draft in the first round by Chivas USA. Michael went on to have a successful pro career that spanned over 11 years. Michael is a philanthropist, public speaker, and recently started doing some broadcasting work with BN Sports. Michael has an amazing story of resilience, discovering his identity and who he is outside of the sport of soccer, as well as seeing transitions as opportunities, even the difficult ones. Enjoy the show. How are you guys doing today? My name is Jonathan Van Horn, and I am with Wells Thompson. Wells, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. Good to be here. Well, we're uh, super excited today to have Michael LaHood join us today on the Shift Podcast. Uh, Michael, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Well, we are, uh, again, we're, we're stoked to have Michael on, on the podcast today. Not only uh, his successful pro career within, within football, uh, but also has had a successful career off the field as well, uh, just as through sponsorships and really leveraging his platform uh, for, for good, as well as leveraging his platform to really set him up for, for retirement. And we also are excited that recently retired, Michael. So how are you, you, know, how are you feeling with uh, it was just that the reality of that, just sort of overarching yeah. real quick broad spectrum. How are you feeling with all that? I feel a lot of peace with it. It um, I never want to be the person who says, uh, anything positive about COVID and that, but, and, you know, with the sports world stopping, it really gave me the gift of time. And I think that's been one of the things with COVID and quarantine in particular, um, it's given all of us the gift of time and what we do with our time now matters for what's to come. And, you know, what I've chosen to do with my time is really reflect on where am I now and where am I going? And, you know, it gave me, uh, the peace of mind to make a really difficult decision to retire. So feel really good about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's exciting to, I know, think the, the reality of time, and I think you hit it on it as far as taking intentional uh, time to focus in on not only where you're at, but where you want to go. Uh, and also being having the, having the freedom now because of, in the midst of, of COVID and the tragedy that has been within our world, but also having the freedom and to think about it and process. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's encouraging to hear. Well, let's uh, let's let's have. I know you got a very powerful story, uh, so we'd love to hear a little bit about growing up. Uh, Where did you grow up? Where are you from? Uh, a yeah. little bit of your soccer bio as well, and to where we are today. Yeah. So before get jumping into my story, remember a, a wise man that probably looks like you <laughs> once told me something to the effect of, uh, you know, our stories are the most powerful things that we have about us. And so my story starts in Freetown, Sierra Leone, um, grew up in, you know, West Africa and actually grew up, you know, with means until when I was six years old, you know, my life changed forever. And I remember my grandma burst into you know, my primary school and just without warning, grabbed me by the hand and said, let's go. 
And so we lived probably two miles from where I went to school. And when I got home, it was absolute chaos. And what I didn't know then was that Sierra Leone was had embarked in a horrific civil war um, over blood diamonds. And it sent the, the country into upheaval and talk about looting and just survival. Uh, everyone was just trying to survive. And uh, one of the last memories I have in you know, being six years old in Sierra Leone um, was you know, the last two people I saw were my uncle and my grandma. And you know, my uncle wasn't able to travel with me. And so I had to travel from Sierra Leone to Washington, D.C. all by myself at six years old. And I met my mom wandering the airport at Dulles Airport and ended up meeting her in a parking lot. I had no direction, no guidance. I wow. literally remember meeting my mom. I, every time I go to Dulles, I have flashbacks of seeing, it was the first station wagon I ever saw uh, from TV to real life. And I just saw this woman run, running to me and embracing me in her arms. And you know, it was very emotional for both of us. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I came to the US, what do you do if you're a refugee as a six-year-old and now you have to start a new life in America? You don't speak the language that well. You know, education's a big thing in the D.C. area in particular. And your parents are immigrants and they're trying to make sense of everything. And it wasn't until I found the commonality that I experienced in Africa, soccer, that that gave me life and it gave me direction. And it was really soccer that made the biggest difference for me growing up. It opened doors to connect with people. It allowed me to speak a common language that I recognized from home that I could also connect with here. Uh, and, you know, it, it opened doors, you know, as we'll talk about further on in the, my career. That's awesome. You know, I think, again, I, yeah, your, our stories have power. And the fact that uh, in the midst of chaos, six years old, come to the U.S., new culture, new, new land, new language, new everything. I think that's the beauty of, of, of soccer football is that it creates that common language, a common bond all over the world. And you can put a ball down and whether you have the same culture, same ethnicity, same, same language or not, if it's different you, with that ball brings people together. And it's amazing how the sport unifies people uh, that brings joy. It's called a beautiful game for a reason. Right. And so it's not only being, being playing, but also the, the what it can do for, for different people groups is that unity. That's, that's exciting. Uh, so what, um, so now you're in the U S you're, you're becoming, uh, just playing, finding commonality, you know, what, take us down. I know you played at Wake Forest yeah. and then had a very successful career. Wake we got Forest. a couple of alumni <laughs> here. Yeah, <I> <laughs> <laughs> it, it got a little bit of what, uh, was it two year overlap for you guys or what was, uh, what's yeah. the overlap? Yeah, two years. Okay. Two years. All right. So, yeah. so Wells, I'm I'm gonna sort of do a little handoff to you now, since you guys got the commonality going to the Demon Deacons and all that kind of stuff. You let you guys let you guys reminisce, share some stories a little yeah. bit. So. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, re well, real quick. I mean, just uh, what an incredible story. I mean, you know, I'm sure as a as a pro athlete, you know, uh, yeah, obviously I respect you as a person, your game, but also how you've been able to leverage your platform to give back and help others. When you tell your story, does it get old, or do you do, do you appreciate no. it every time? Yeah, I, I I appreciate it every time. I think there is a time when I was I would uh, really I it took till in the middle of my career that I actually never told my story. I it was something that because it 
you know, I was actually ashamed of because it, it felt so different from so many other people. Um, and, you know, we talk about our time at Wake. I, you know, Wells and I were, I remember we had a stretch where we were roommates uh, your senior year. And I remember I felt, I felt more known in those moments. Um, and it was really you sharing your story and being vulnerable with me. And that was such a marker for me to move forward, you know, to what was next, you know, those next two years to then start to share my story with my classmates and be vulnerable with the next, you know, round of, you know, Wake Forest students coming in and, and teammates coming in. Um, but no, I, there's healing that takes place every time I tell my, I tell my story. There's a new, pers- there's something I, I may have not connected with before. Uh, there's a perspective that I gain and it helps me to move forward. And when we talk about our, my time at Wake and our time at Wake, I remember when I got to Winston-Salem, I felt so lost. I, I was on a mission to self-sabotage. I was just like, I just didn't think I deserved to be there. Everything that I had seen uh, from people that have, you know, the background of being a refugee coming from civil war, you know, thing that I had seen around me had said, you know, you should be a single dad. You should be a high school dropout. Uh, you should be whatever the negative aspects of, of, you know, some of the stereotypes are of those things. And I was going to an amazing school um, and I was playing on, on a national powerhouse soccer team. And when I got to Winston-Salem, the thing that I chose Wake Forest because I wanted to make history. Growing up, I always, I knew that my story was different and I had this feeling of almost being set apart, being destined for something great. And so I always was on the underdog team uh, who rose up to do something special. And at least I told myself I was. <laughs> and so uh, when I got to Winston, I remember, you know, kind of kept to myself for the most part. And it was stepping on the field and we played pickup uh, right by the dorms there. And that was my place to come alive and express myself. It reminded me of coming from Sierra Leone. And it was on the soccer field that that was where I could express myself. That all my anger, all my pain, all my excitement, all my fear, uh, all my curiosity, uh, everything came out. All my passion came out when I was on the soccer field. And, you know, Jay Vidovich, when I graduated, I, I asked him a question or he, he asked me a question. He said, of the, of the three and a half years you were here, I've been waiting for you to ask me why I recruited you. And I, was, I thought that was so profound because I should be asking, hey, Coach, why, why did you take a chance on me? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he said, you were always my diamond in the rough. And that, mm. you know, and that's, that's all he needed to say because it just spoke so much that, you know, like a, like a diamond, the diamond doesn't start as a diamond, it starts as cold. And with enough pressure, with enough nourishment and nutrition and nutrients, it becomes a diamond. It allows you, you see it shine and it becomes this valuable um, commodity that, you know, we place so much value on and you really start to see its value. But that happens over time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my time in Winston-Salem, um, if you take away the national championships, I wish it should have been national championships. <laughs> uh, if you take away the final four, is national championship, uh, ACC, you know, tournament stuff, all the wins, all the records. 
you know, that was my marker for Wake Forest. It was a real coming of age moment. And I would do it all over again and all the lessons I had to learn because it's made me the you know, man that I am today. That's absolutely incredible. And I don't know if you've ever made this, but the correlation between uh, Sierra Leone, right, is where you were going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sierra Leone going into mm. a civil war over uh, diamonds, right? Yeah. And wow. then you being the diamond in the rough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, and it, it's that narrative, it's that story, right? You're, you're taking something negative, right? It was greed, civil war over uh, uh, blood diamonds, and then you coming to America, you know, uh, beating the odds, so to speak, right? And yeah. becoming the diamond and rough at Wake Forest. It sounds to me a little bit like you've, I mean, you have this positive, uh, I'm going to make the best of everything that happens to me mindset. Has that been a staple of Michael Hood or is that something that you've developed throughout your career? Yeah, I've had to develop that out of my career. I think really that's, you know, what's helped me develop that even more is become my faith. And, and really not just, you know, saying, oh, I'm a man of faith and good things are going to happen, but really through coming, you know, finding my faith and connecting my faith, uh, my faith has allowed me and even forced me to really look at my story and the word accountability. And there's a, you know, iron sharpening iron and surrounding yourself with friends, surrounding yourself with mentors who see your story and invite you to be, you know, the best version of yourself that you can be. And, you know, I remember a marker for me in my career, I remember when I moved to Cincinnati and it was so chaotic leaving Miami and everything that I didn't know how, I didn't know what was to come. I didn't know that we were going to win championships. I didn't know that we were going to set records. Uh, what helped me, to have peace of mind and to, to get settled in was to remember my story that every time along the way that there was something that always happened, that everything worked out, uh, that, you know, there would, you know, that God would intervene. And it was really holding on to that hope that if all I do is survive this difficult moment, then that's huge. But it's not all up to me there's something greater at play. There's something bigger than myself that I'm a part of. Uh, and if I am patient enough, if I continue to be consistent, if I continue to hold on to my values uh, and be, you know, integrity matters and really reflecting on, wow, maybe just maybe this difficult moment that I'm in, it will give me the character that I need to step into the next moment. And, you know, that's, you know, and really focusing, really shifting your focus uh, rather on the immediate, you know, the, the, the difficulties of, your, of the current circumstances is not the final part of your story. Um, that our story unfolds as a process. And so I, I constantly have to remind myself of that even now as I'm transitioning into what's next. Uh, it's something that it's all been built upon. It's almost like a muscle that you have to flex and work out uh, and our stories, you know, work out this muscle of patience and process time and time again, if we are faithful to it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, you've been, you've been through so many different types of trans transitions, you know, coming to the U S at six, uh, 
navigating new culture, new languages, education, going to Wake Forest, having a successful career there, being drafted by the Philly Union, playing the MLS, and go from Philly to, to Chivas, right? Was that what? Uh, other way around. Yeah. Other way around. Okay, drafted yeah, by Chivas yeah. and then to yeah, Philly. Go to USA. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So you've, you've played on both coasts. Yeah. Uh, drafted, like I said, successful athletic career. You've, and you've been through a multitude of, of various transitions, uh, dealing with contract negotiations, yeah. uh, different cities, different areas. Uh, you mentioned faith and just having, understand, relying on your story. Uh, what's really been uh, the driving force to allow those transitions to be successful? Because you've, like I said, you've been in a lot of different locker rooms, a lot of different people, different cultures, different different cities, different clubs, different ownership groups, all the, all yeah. the, all the above, you know, what has allowed you to, to navigate those transitions so successfully? Uh, Cause you have been successful in those transitions. So what has been a key ingredient, uh, whether motivation, identity, purpose, passion, mm-hmm. what has been, what has been some of those keys uh, to successfully make those transitions into each of those, those environments? Yeah. You know, you talk about faith um, growing up, my faith was in soccer. Soccer was my way out. Soccer was my way forward. And it gave me an identity and it was such a big part of my identity. And I remember, you know, one of the difficult things that I experienced at Wake Forest was, you know, I had a little bit of a, I had to learn that I had to go to, to class all the time. <laughs> Not just some of the times. Um, but I, I went to Wake Forest just to play soccer. And what a tragedy that would have been if to miss out on the amazing education that comes with being there, not just following the soccer ball. And, uh, but I was devastated when soccer was taken away from me. And, you know, and that was, that's been such a marker throughout my career of the times where soccer, you know, was taken away from me through injury, uh, whether it's you know, through suspension of you know, maybe a little bit too aggressive of a tackle or whatever, you know, the vehicle that soccer gets taken away uh, you then have to sit in a very scary place if that is your entire world. Who am I? If I didn't have this, it's given me so much meaning. Who am I? And for all the early success I had coming in the league, you know, Chivas USA, literally play, felt like we were in the wild, wild west. Never knew what to expect. <laughs> uh, getting trade to Philadelphia it was scary because it gave me, it, it put me in this space of the reality of this is a business first. That this game that I love, it's beautiful, that I have so much passion for, is now very much a business. And it, you know, transitions actually always, initially always been so hard for me because it triggers so much of my transition of leaving abruptly and you get traded, you're traded so abruptly. And each time I've been traded and had to move, it's been abrupt. Uh, and it's been without warning, now you have to start over. And so there's this young place that comes up in me that I have to work through and I take deep breaths, um, you know, to, to, to really allow myself to experience self-compassion for, you know what, this is hard for a reason. I'm experiencing these young places for a reason. And it's, it's really the foundation that's allowed me to transition time and time again is I know that the first month or month and a half or two months, things are going to come up and it is going to be hard. And that does, that has no judgment on the, who I am and the strength that I have and the character that I have, and the resolve that I have to move forward through this. And um, 
you know, Philadelphia was so pivotal for me because it, it really felt like God stripped away soccer through injury time and time again of the four years I was there, I was only healthy one year and it allowed me to get a contract to be there for the remain for three more years. And, you know, what a blessing and what a gift that was. I would do it all over again. Maybe not the intensity of injuries, but uh, I would, I would allow the injuries to happen again because I now know who I am without a soccer ball. It's what's allowing me to walk away from the game and transition into what's next. That, yeah. you know, I can say thank you, soccer, for everything that you've afforded me. And I don't need you in the same ways I, I did before. Um, and, you know, hopefully a week's time, I won't be changing my mind, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's truly incredible, man. I'm, I've literally been getting chill bumps throughout this whole interview. I want you to know that. That's the truth, man. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I wish I had that attitude when I retired and, you know, people, people have heard me talk about my retirement on, on this podcast and it sucked. And, uh, you know, part of it was identity issues. Right. But I didn't do the work necessary in order to transition well. And I think, and you don't know what you don't know. Right. So you have to show yourself grace. Um, but I think in order to transition well, you have to start that process while you're playing. And it sounds like you've done that a little bit. You know, life's a journey and you're, you, you, we're always going through change. But, you know, have you started that process early? What does that look like? Have you had people that have kind of spoken that into your life? And, you know, how are you, uh, what, what's, what's your mindset going into retirement? Great question, man. I, in some ways, I almost said I had a choice, but in some ways I, I almost didn't have a choice. You know, and it's what's really emboldened my faith is the, the people that God put along my path, you know, I think of how we connected and really the bond that we solidified, you know, was there was a commonality in of a kid from Sierra Leone and a kid from Winston-Salem. Uh, we forged a bond that started actually not just on the field, but it started being roommates. And I, I remember being a witness to like, I want to connect and play for that guy that much more. And becoming like, I was so stoked for you when you became drafted or we got drafted and seeing each other again in the league and everything. It, it was like, I, I never forgot that of like, wow, he showed his humanity to me. And that made such a difference for like goals that you score. I mean, you literally put us on your back to take us to the final four at times your senior year, but it was your humanity. It was your story that, that was so much more powerful to me. And it, it made me root for you that much more as a teammate and as a friend and as a person. And for me, when we come across people and things that are put in our lives, it's an invitation. And, you know, it's really, we oftentimes see, but we don't want to see. Or we oftentimes see, yet we don't understand. And, you know, I remember John, the invitation to come to South Africa. Uh, we had met, I think, the year before in LA, maybe two yeah. years before. And I remember I was so like him and Han, him and Han about it to go on a mission trip. And I, I was a believer, but I, you know, I no one had ever told me what's the, what are the steps to go on a mission trip, you know, as a new believer. And 
I just, I said yes. And sometimes the lessons that you learn, the things that are waiting for you on the side of, on the other side of the door, it starts with just saying yes and not knowing where that's going to lead. And so my yeses uh, led to, you know, not just mission trips, but it led to, you know, even on those mission trips, public speaking and speaking in front of other people. The time of injury that I had, times of injury and lengthy layoffs uh, from playing led to, you know what, I'm going to say yes to doing work in the community um, and filling my time doing that. And throughout my career, and even now, one of my biggest stances is just, I'm available for whatever you need and want me to do. And just being available. Uh, and, you know, I, those times of availability, it allowed me to do public speaking. It allowed me to, to walk into uh, doing soccer analyst work. And when I made the, you know, the decision to retire, I always was so afraid because I thought it would be, you'd have to reinvent yourself with something out there. Uh, and what I, the process that I've been looking into is just reflecting on my story. And my story and the yeses, that, the things I said yes to, what it reflected to me is, well, I'm gonna do public speaking because that's the training that I had that yeah. soccer afforded me, not just on the field, uh, but also broadcasting and, you know, commentating you know, I love to talk about the game I probably talk about it too much <laughs> <laughs> well bro uh, if this podcast is any indication of your success you're gonna freaking crush it yeah. <laughs> come on now thank you no but it I think as athletes and you know even as people transitioning in life we oftentimes get so overwhelmed with the thought that we have to reinvent ourselves yeah. it's something out there and oftentimes it it's really our story keeps there's themes that you know happen again and again in our stories and within our stories get our gifts and giftedness the gifts that god gave us are reflected and and i think as we honor those as we say yes you know will you say yes to this thing this gift that i've given you and this audience i've given you i think he rewards us and he you know, well done my good and faithful servant you've been faithful with a little I will now give you a lot or just a little bit more mm-hmm. and then a little bit more and then a little bit more. Uh, and so that, you know, that is what allows me to be on this podcast to say, you know, I will be, you know, going into soccer broadcasting and doing public speaking and philanthropy. So, you know, just like at Wake, I was a jack of all trades, just like yeah. in my career, <laughs> jack of all trades. I guess I'll be a jack of all trades yet again uh, in this next chapter. That's awesome. I think, you know, when uh, at Shift, we talk a lot about your story, the power of your story. You mentioned, you talk about, you know, your life themes that there's like how we're created and wired. Uh, we have these, uh, these sort of, again, these themes that keep coming back up to reinforce and really allow who we are and how we're created to shine. We've got these gifts, talents, we're not all identical, right? And so, and something that you said earlier on with you and Wells is that this is the reality that vulnerability uh, creates uh, connection. It, mm. You guys connected, but then reality too, then is that connection creates commitment. And you saw, and you see that as in your career, as you're sharing your story a little bit with you and Wells at Wake Forest, but also the places that you've gone with your teammates in some of the situations as you've continued to be vulnerable and shared your story, 
is that there's been connection that's been created. And as a result of that, there's been commitment. And as a result of those steps of faith, whether it's, you know, you and I have traveled to Africa twice now, South Africa once, and also Egypt. And, yeah. you know, we, we've been able to see those, those, those commitments continue to grow. But as a result of that, you're seeing uh, who you are as a person uh, really develop and seeing you as a leader, as a, as a man, seeing you really uh, become uh, who God's created you to be, which has been really exciting. It's been really exciting to see. And now you're in this new transition to post playing professionally and going into broadcasting and really seeing those gifts really shine. Uh, so I, again, it's, that's, it's a powerful story, powerful thing of what's, of, of what, of what God's done in your life, as well as what the choices that you've made to say yes to, to things and taking those risks because life's about risk, right? Life's about taking yeah. those risks and, and taking those steps of faith. Uh, just in light of what's, you know, we want to, one of the things we want to chat about today as well was, was what's going on in our, in our nation uh, with the, with the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. It's been an absolute, uh, just a travesty. And then there's been just an outpouring and a response through protests, through rioting, and there's a lot that's happening uh, as a result. I know one of the pictures that's been really poignant to me uh, was something LeBron James put on his, on his IG was, was Kaepernick kneeling, and yeah. he said, this is why. And it had a picture of the police officer with his knee, and it was just, and that was it, just this is why, that was it. And it was just very powerful. Uh, but yeah. I wanted to ask, how, how are you doing in all of what's going on? What's some of the mindset, the mentality that, uh, that you're sort of wrestling and, and going through in, in all that's happening right now in our world? Yeah, no, thank you for, for asking. I, uh, it's, it's been really hard. I, for me personally, when I heard the news of George Floyd's murder, I was, I was in shock. And I, I, I almost, shock was the only thing that, that I could express, I shut down and I, I was so surprised. And I, it just brought this curiosity. I mean, it made me kind of take some you know, time away to really reflect on what's happening for me right now. That I'm not, there's something in me that, that I can't express. I'm, I don't know what's happening, but I, I can't express what I'm feeling. And it was seeing, you know, the protests and the violence. Um, that has come in the aftermath of it that then my anger came out and my sadness and everything that had been bottled up just came out and it's something i'm still wrestling with um you know it's so hard to watch you know black men black women be killed <laughs> uh, it's so hard to watch you know, the narrative, um, this, this is not the first time this is, this has happened. And Will Smith said something that, that was very, very blunt. And he, he said, this is, this has actually been happening. We just now have technology to record it. Yeah. So it was almost Powerful. like welcome to the reality of some of the realities of what it's been like to be black in America. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think the hardest thing for me is, you know, it's, it's raw emotion. It's raw for everyone. Uh, no matter what the color of your skin is, there's a reality that's being exposed and it's hard to watch. And, um, but I, I'm not a, I'm not a violent man. And I do agree that, you know, in some ways that there's just this outpouring and outcrying of frustration and anger is so many raw emotions. And yet I don't think that, you know, the answer long-term is to now we need to make 
police officers pay. Now we need to make white people pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, because violence does not beget violence. And that is not a way of moving forward. And I actually saw Killer Mike, who was one of my favorite rappers growing up. I was a big out- outcast fan. He, he spoke, uh, he actually put something out. It was very powerful. Uh, so he's Atlanta through and through. And his family, you know, they were generations of, you know, uh, they, they were there marching for civil rights. They were there in Atlanta, you know, Dr. King, NAACP. And he, he was in tears. And he said, I'm hurting. I'm angry. Uh, I hear and feel your pain. Um, but the answer is not to burn down our city. Because without our city, what else do we have? And he's talking about Atlanta. So whether you're here, in, whether you're in Raleigh, whether you're in Winston-Salem, whether you're here in San Antonio, New York, wherever, without our city, if our cities go to ashes, what else do we have? Uh, that, you know, we need each other. That this, you know, this is an invitation, not just to express anger, but out of the ashes of that, how do we move forward? How do we come together to make sure that this never happens again? And, you know, one of my biggest things, and it made me so angry uh, because that's been one of my biggest questions is, yes, I'm angry. Yes, we're angry. Yes, you're angry. Yes, there's confusion. There's just so much raw emotion. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with it? Is it enough to just post something on social media and then in two weeks time, then what? In three months' time, then what? This is an election year. And this is an institutional thing that's being exposed. It's not just, a, it's a personal thing that's happening. Uh, you know, and not all cops are bad. <laughs> and so I, for me personally, I don't experience this as, okay, you know what? Now we need to make cops pay. The cops that are involved in the George Floyd situation needs to be brought to justice, need to be prosecuted, not just fired, prosecuted. Um, and yet this is an invitation for all of us that if you are angry, vote. And don't just vote, vote don't just focus on the national election. Get involved. Vote. Vote on your local elections. If if you have a problem with how things are run locally, get engaged in the political process. Uh, because you know with civil rights and all the change that has been made, you know, in America, uh, that was what was happening. That was what happened. It was the black community getting involved in the political process. And for me, that's, it was, as a person of influence uh, that has a platform, it was really powerful to see someone like Killer Mike, who not only has a platform as a rapper, um, but as community activists and who has, you know, family members who are both police officers and activists um, to say something like that and to see the raw emotion and not just having the emotion, but starting to turn that narrative into, yes, we are angry. What do we do with our anger? Where do we steer this? And he challenged people. uh, His challenge to everyone was, you know, Maybe the next answer is yes, we we are rioting, yes, we are protesting, um, but maybe, you know, what would that look like to stay at home and actually think this through about how we can you know mobilize to affect the institution, to change the institution, 
to make sure that this never happens again. And I think that when someone like that speaks, that's where change starts to happen. You know, um, it's change is not just about experiencing the emotion of it. it there's a thoughtfulness. Um, and it was just an expression of leadership that, that is, it gives me so much meaning and it, it definitely gives me a way forward and, and not just, you know, how do I think about this? How do you experience this? But how can I, you know, how can I bring change to the narrative that's going on with the people around me? And so as hard as it is to talk about this and as raw as it is, you know, I, I'm so thank you for giving me the space and inviting you know me into this narrative to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, no doubt. I just listened to you talk, man. I, I feel the tears welling up and just thinking about everything that's been going on. Uh, you know, one thing that, um, you know, as a Christian, uh, processing these things, you know, it's not easy. Right. And, and life's not easy. Um, one thing we talked about before you hopped on was we got to be really careful with the words that we use because, yeah. and how we act and, and the things we say to people. And, um, you know, it, it's just such a mature perspective because our, our, our instincts and our emotion are to let's jump in, let's fight. This is freaking wrong, right? Yeah. This is injustice. And, uh, you know, how has your faith helped you, you through this stuff? How do you wrestle with this and your faith? Uh, it thank you. That's such a that's something I was thinking about. I because I I felt so disoriented when I woke up and just exhausted. You know, carrying the weight of the emotion. I think faith wise, um, what's really started to, to pop up for me is um, really God. What do you what are you allowing to happen? You know, why the crying out of why? Uh, why is this why is this being exposed? Why is this happening now? Um, and two, we talk about story. There's something that's happening this year with COVID first, now this. There's something that's being allowed to happen. And I wish I had the answers, because if I did, we'd be doing this podcast globally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's in the maybe, works. You know? Maybe it's in the works. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that, that's, that's, that's something I'm still wrestling with. But, you know, the two words that come to mind, uh, I think my faith really I can point to is there's a compassion that I, I can't explain why there's a compassion that I, that I feel uh, and really a curiosity. There's a compassion that I feel uh, is being a black man in America. There's a compassion I feel for for the anger because uh, I'm angry as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a compassion. Uh, there's a curiosity that I feel for you know for those who do not know what it's like uh, to be black in America and you know the narrative of yeah but you know and and really the the you know, hey, let's let's get back to the status quo. There's a curiosity. Um, and I think there's a curiosity that I'm seeing through this that really, I think, points to hope um, and the opportunity for hope and change is there's a curiosity and that there's a, there's a national narrative, an international narrative that everyone everyone's talking about it now mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think it was talked about before. And people are asking questions. And I think in the midst of this, just like with our faith, Oftentimes, it's asking the right questions. 
mm. that leads to the next right questions. And, um, you know, so the why and being curious of why, why is, why is there so much, why is, why is there looting happening? Why is there violence happening? And not just being quick to cast judgment on, oh, violence happening, this is bad. Um, mm. You know, why, why is there police brutality? Where is it coming from? Uh, from an institutional standpoint, you know, what, what's the story behind this? Because this has happened before. And why did it happen before? Um, and really, you know, lastly, I think what was so helpful for someone like Killer Mike and what he said was do not forget the story of what came before us. The, the, the work that, you know, is personal to him because he said, you know, my grandparents and, you know, my relatives, uh, they fought for the Atlanta that we have. But yes, this is brutal, but this is not the Atlanta of the 1960s. This is not the Atlanta of the 1930s. This is not the, the Atlanta of the 18, whatever. That, there's a story yeah. that has evolved over time. So for us to negate, you know, for us to burn down our cities and just go to straight violence, that's not honoring of the work that people died for. Hmm. People sacrificed a lot to get, you know, our cities to be where they are today. And it doesn't make, you know, it doesn't mean that we're, we're anywhere close from an institutional standpoint to the change that needs to happen. And so it, it, it now it, started, it, it starts to create a curiosity, a, a different narrative. It's just not one of raw emotion. And I think that's something that is so profound. Uh, oftentimes, I think our faith allows us to take a step back from the circumstances of our life and ponder that maybe we are part of a bigger story. We know we are connected to something bigger. And um, it's in that pondering, you know, in our hearts, that I think God invites movement, you know, and, and provides the next question. And really being available for those who are around us to have these conversations with, uh, you know, they're not comfortable. Like I, I went to dinner last night with some friends and rather than putting on a brave face, I was honest. I said, I'm, I'm hurting guys. I'm hurting right now. And I need to talk about this. And they made space. Uh, just like I'm making a space for my dentist to call me back later. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's something I'm still processing, uh, but so far that's that's what I've been able to process for myself. Yeah, yeah that's and that's the thing that the curiosity and asking the questions and realizing that we're part of something bigger than just our immediate space, our immediate world. Yeah, uh, but also like how do we understand what's happening, but then also putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and, and not just through our own bias, because we all have bias in some way or yeah. another, but not just seeing the world through our own bias, but intentionally putting ourselves in the other person's shoes, asking curious questions. That's great. That's great advice right there. And then again, you talk about change is like, how do we move forward and not, uh, we all come from a, uh, a history. Our cities have history. They have a story, a narrative that we want to continue to be a part of, not to tear down, but continue to build upon the shoulders of those that have come before us. Yeah, that's 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 really good, Michael. That's really good. Uh, what um before we finish before we finish up here, um, is there anything that you would like? You know, hey, I I want to leave people with this. I want to leave people before we finish up, whether it's on athletic transition, 
preparing for retirement, George Floyd and all that's happened with his with his murder. Like, what is there anything like one sort of few thoughts or nuggets that you're like, you know, what, I want to I want to leave listeners with this. This is something I want people to uh, to really grab a hold of before we finish up our time today. Yeah, wow. Usually I have them go through my flashcards. <laughs> uh, no, I'm as we we talk about stories. One of one of my favorite authors is Dan Alder. Um, I think he's you know such a orator, like his mm-hmm. ability to speak um, and how eloquently he speaks and so poetic. Um, and a book that he wrote, "To Be Told," um, is a book that speaks to my heart. And you know, in the midst of we talk about story. Um, our story is constantly being written and there's themes, three themes that he um, expressed in our stories is Shalom, which is life at peace. Shalom shattered, which is there's a, there's a moment that happens in our lives that brings chaos, that brings agony. Um, it's a moment that we are unnamed, that we have our name at a young age. And the, there are these difficult, painful moments where we're unnamed, we lose our identity uh, and Shalom restored that we find our rightful name, the name that we were actually always given, that was always intended to be ours. And, you know, as someone who's transitioning, as we talk about the George Floyd, all this stuff, uh, the chaos of 2020, it's been such, so many incident moments of unnaming happening. Uh, You know, when your identity is wrapped up in soccer, when your identity is wrapped up in work, uh, when your identity is wrapped Mm -hmm. up in this this small story that's comfortable to hold on to because there's so much that comes with it. Uh, we miss out so much on what can be and what will be uh, if we are faithful to engage in the process of co-authoring our story. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me is, you know, I think I'm going to paraphrase something maybe Dan said in there is, you know, write well. Don't just write an ordinary story because I, I don't think we're, none of us were meant to live an ordinary story. Uh, is write well, take risks, say yes. Uh, even if it's something, say yes to a conversation, say yes to coffee. Uh, some of the best advice that I was given in, in my travels is just say yes. Um, because you might be surprised to the story that awaits um, and the invitation that you're being invited into to co-author uh, the next chapter of your story. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just just like saying yes to this. Um, you know, I'm really excited to see what what else yes leads to. That's some uh, that's some great words of wisdom right there, Michael. And and we are truly grateful to have you on the the Shift Podcast today, uh, dude. You crushed it. Like I love like I said the fact <laughs> that uh, sharing your story and just sharing uh, your heart, uh, being authentic and being vulnerable, being real with us today. Uh, just really grateful for that. Uh, just like I said, bearing your soul. And so we just, we appreciate uh, sharing part of your story and, and your time with us today. So again, uh, really appreciate it, Michael. Thank you. Hey, thanks brother. I'm walking away a changed man. And I mean, that. so we appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your story. No, thank you guys. And, and you know, the, you know, I've, I've been looking forward to this. Um, obviously you guys are part of my story and both of you had made tremendous impacts on me. Um, but thank you guys for creating a platform, uh, for us as athletes, you know, it, it is very powerful to to be able to share our stories. And you know, my hope for this is, you know, whoever connects with this, uh, you know, it's almost like if you're listening, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
if the greatest thing that can come from this is just one person hears this and it's part of my story, insights changed and what a blessing that is. And it, and it makes me grateful. Uh, it just inspires me to continue, to continue co-authoring and writing my story um, in faith. So cool. thank you guys as well. Thank you for listening to The Shift Podcast, where we are assisting athletes through successful transition in sport as well as in life. We would love for you to subscribe, share the podcast, as well as leave a review. Remember, change is one of the only things in life that are guaranteed. Will you be ready?